R.A.F. with Tony Tone and L.A. <laughs> Yo, what's up? It's your boy L.A., a.k.a. The Love Ambassador, coming to you straight live and direct from the Jungle Studios. Now, uh, first and foremost, special shout-out to Kirby, our last guest. He shall be returning. Uh, mad, mad love on that podcast. Uh, very, very successful. So we thank all the people for tuning in. Now, I'm not going to lie, um, I was in Singapore for work last week, which entails a whole lot of drinking and entertainment and yeah i'm exhausted but i thought i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna change it up a little bit i was just always wondering uh, the other day because uh growing up in australia surfing is such a massive part of our culture um and uh and the sea and the ocean so it got me wondering um what it What's the history of surfing? Like, how did it start? So, uh, to answer my own question, let us begin. Well, first and foremost, um, the riding of waves by indigenous people can be traced um, throughout the world. And what usually happens in history uh, is very interesting because uh, it's basically who records it and when, and then part and parcel that formulates who created it. So, for argument's sake, um, with that disclaimer, uh, surfing started in Polynesia. Uh, so, the art of surfing known as Haina, uh, Hei means to surf, and Ana is a no nominalizing practical in the Hawaiian language, was recorded by Joseph Banks aboard the HMS Endeavour, if memory serves me correct, that uh, was the same ship that founded Australia during the first voyage of James Cook during the ship's stay in Tahiti. Now, Tahiti was also known during this time where they also discovered in that and Samoa area uh, tattoos, which uh, you can tune into a previous podcast we did on them. Surfing was a central part of ancient Polynesian culture and predates European contact. The chief Ali was traditionally the most skilled wave rider in the community with the best board made from the best wood. The ruling class had the best beaches and the best boards and the commoners were allowed in the same beaches, but they could gain prestige by their ability to ride the surf on their boards. In Tahiti and Samoa, surfing was a popular pastime that was often used as part of warriors' training. Warriors often paddled to surf breaks and were recorded by early European historians in print as spending many hours bravely paddling head-on into large surf and riding waves. Canoes often accompanied surfing parties and the men would often swap canoeing, paddling boards and catch fish after their recreational activities. In Hawaii, surfing became more of a spiritual pastime and became ingrained into the very fabric of Hawaiian religion and culture. The sport was also recorded in print by other European residents and visitors who wrote about and photographed Samoans surfing on planks and single canoe holes. Samoans referred to surf rising as Va'asi or Se'egulu. Edward Trigger also confirmed Samoan terminology for surfing and surfboards in Samoa. 
Oral tradition confirms that surfing was also practiced in Tonga, where the late Tahafu Ahu Tupu IV was foremost Tongan surfer of his time. A special shout out to Kenoke <laughs> for the podcast that we did on, uh, well, you know, straight out of Compton and also for uh, him explaining his Polynesian and Tongan heritage and what it was like to grow up in America. So now we're going to go into ancient Hawaii, uh, which is, you're always going to argue, like I said, about who started it, but Hawaii is kind of at the forefront of, you know, the the main dudes that created it, and I'll explain why, but basically because they became an American colony slash state, then the Americans made it, you know, globally known afterwards. So the ancient Hawaiian people did not consider surfing a mere recreational activity, hobby, sport or career. Rather, the Hawaiian people integrated surfing into their culture and made surfing more of an art than anything else. They referred to this art as he e nalu, which translates into English as wave sliding. The art began before entering the mysterious ocean as Hawaiians prayed to the gods for protection and strength to undertake the powerful, mystifying ocean. If the ocean was tamed, frustrated surfers would call upon the kahunu, priest, who would aid them in a surfing prayer, asking the gods to deliver great surf. Prior to entering the ocean, the priest would also aid the surfers, mainly of the upper class, in undertaking the spiritual ceremony of constructing a surfboard. Now, it's basically what would happen is they would use different types of trees depending on what type of board they want. So um, the trees included the koha, the willy-willy, and many others. And basically, they ranged from what would be considered now to a shortboard that you would see the pro surfers on, to those that are into surfing, the Hawaiian chiefs and 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 uh, you know the top surfers would do longboards, but the longboards were equivalent to about twice the size of today's uh, longboards, going up to about nine feet. Uh, so some of the ancient sites that are still popular today are Kilhulu Bay and Hulahula Bay. And after basically the the European scramble for Polynesia, um, the Western world came in contact with Hawaiian culture. They actually, as what happened through through many colonised countries with indigenous people, it was actually not only the the conflict and the killing of the soldiers, but uh, diseases like cold and influenza, etc., etc., that wiped out uh, large amounts of population. Uh, that was like in, in in South America and in uh, Hawaii. I read that they estimated there was a pre-colonised population of eight hundred thousand people, and that dropped to like you know forty to sixty. So basically what happened is uh, the white people come along, the Christians are like, oh, this is just not right, surfing's like a pagan thing. Um, and the long story short is basically the white people see it, they colonise it, and then they take some uh, Hawaiian princes that were studying to America to, to kind of do a, a demonstration on it. Uh, and so this demonstration takes takes place and it goes... Up and down the up and down the sort of the west coast and a little bit to the east coast. Um, the main guys in the first one were David, excuse my pronunciation, Kawanana 
Koa, Edward Kelly Ianahui, and Yona Kahui Kala Niana Oli. Um, and so what they did, uh, this is around sort of 1885, and then by the early 1900s, we start to see basically white people kind of cotton on to it. Um, Surfing on the East Coast starts around 1909 uh, for, for white people. And then you start to see sort of a rise in, in um, you know, basically some of the surfing clubs were kind of tied into almost like white nationalism of trying to colonise Hawaii with more white people that indefinitely kind of failed with that bid. Um, and, and Hawaii today is still one of the most multiracial places on the planet. Uh, in terms of Australia, uh, it was, you know, 1910, Tommy Walker kind of comes on a huge 10-foot surfboard, um, becomes an expert rider, gives exhibitions, but it's really credited in Australia with uh, national exposure from Duke Kahana Muku in the summer of 1914 to 1915, who was an Olympic sprint champion, but also being Hawaiian, was a, uh, a surfer as well. So what he did is he basically went throughout the eastern states giving demonstrations, and then that kind of that kind of kicked off. You know, um, I mean, Aussies obviously we've got you know thousands upon thousands of kilometres of coastlines, so people took to it and uh, with an outdoors culture. Modern surfing again, it sort of starts around sort of the early 1900s with these exhibitions. Um, and it keeps it keeps growing to what we really see um, today with with modern surfing. Uh, around sort of 1959, we start to see films getting released. Uh, the Beach Boys, you know, everyone loves surfing, surfing USA. I can't sing, but basically that triggered it off, uh, and a lot of beach films as well. So basically by the 60s, 70s and 80s, it's a full-blown sport. And then we come today to where we have professionals like, you know, the one and only Kelly Slater, who's like, you know, the Michael Jordan of surfing. Uh, and, you know, even in Australia, you've got like the Bells Bay competition, which I've actually been to before. And I've got to say, it's actually really, it's actually really cool going to watch, watch surfing. Uh, it's now grown from an indigenous art form that was tied to, I guess, religion and culture, to colonisers saying sort of what's going on here, to now the whole world, because of freedom of, for, for a lot of people um, in the Western world, freedom of movement uh, and money and cheap travel. So they're able to travel around the world and try different surf spots. And also things like, I know, like Rip Curl, Quicksilver, you know, there's been money now put into surfing brands, uh, and now what we see is it's a is it's a whole entire you know something for everyone around the world to enjoy. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's sort of the history of of surfing. Um, of course, we can go into the technologies of wetsuits and windboards changed and everything like that, but you know, <laughs> I don't want to bore you too much. And honestly, I'm pretty tired. So yeah, get your surfboards, get some lessons. And uh, in Australia, watch out for the NOAA, which is slang for sharks, because yeah, they're a real thing with surfboards. 
uh, getting attacked because I think that they're seals and the uh, the surfers. But if you are to fall upon that problem, apparently you're supposed to punch them in the nose. That's a bit of food for thought. Enjoy surfing and good luck, booze.